Dubcast is back, everybody, and we are celebrating a huge victory over Indiana. <laughs> huge! Uh, huge. I'm Michael Citra. I am Johnny Ginter. Johnny, what do you make of a 34-27 victory over the Indiana Hoosiers? I mean, not a lot, right? Like, <laughs> was it was not, not maybe the epic victory that I think we kind of expected and were hoping for? Probably raised more questions than answers, but I did enjoy Ezekiel Elliott breaking off three like ridiculously awesome runs in the second that half. That was fun. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that, Everything else was yeah. less fun, but that was pretty fun. <laughs> so I, yeah, I mean, I, I tried to make the point that there there are some signs of life amongst the the team in the offense. Uh, for example, uh, I think. Maybe something in the long lines of 85 yards receiving coming into that game by Jalen Marshall, and yeah. then he went out and, and caught six balls for 110 yards. Yeah, he had the two fumbles. He'll get that cleaned up. Last year he had a, a game where he <laughs> well, had a fumble. Well, you know, I mean that's that's the thing, right? Well, that... see, last year he had a game like that, and then he came back and destroyed Indiana. This year he right. had that game against Indiana, so maybe he'll come back and destroy Maryland next week. But I thought it was positive that he made so many catches and got so many yards, even though he turned the ball over. Well, he's a definitely times. a talented receiver. We saw that in the playoffs last year. He made several just super clutch catches that kept Ohio State in the game against Alabama, and then really kind of you know, kept them going against Oregon. So, yeah, I mean, he's clearly a talented dude, and I'm going to rep Middletown until I die, right? Like, even though there's yeah. no real reason to do so. So I <laughs> – and, and, and Jalen, look, I mean, he's coming off a of suspension, so that might have hurt him in terms of rhythm a little bit. But as far as I know, he's a good kid. He's from Middletown, so he's obviously great. And I, I am willing to allow that talent to continue to mature on the field. One guy who has gotten a lot more involved, who I had kind of left for dead, is Dontre, uh, our, our good friend Dontre uh, Wilson over there, who's just kind of kind of quietly starting to make a lot of you know good uh, contributions to the team. I think. Yeah, you know, one thing that everybody has mentioned is the way he ran his rear end off down the field to make, try to oh, make yeah. that final final block on the first long touchdown for Zeke. Uh, that was something. And, yeah, I think we're seeing more of Dontre Wilson right now. I think we're seeing him start to emerge a little bit, which is really great to see. He's playing football. He's not just running. You know, He's not catching the ball and then running. He's actually playing football. It seems like he's trying to block. He's trying to do the things that he needs to do. Mm-hmm. I, I really, honestly, I've liked what I've seen from him in the past like two or three weeks. So I think that's definitely a positive development. I do think that the offense overall is hurt by a lack of a guy like Evan Spencer or Devin Smith. Who, mm-hmm. Again, Evan Spencer isn't the most polished wide receiver in the world, but just the things that they are able to do on the field, I don't know that you see a lot of that out of the wide receiving core right now. You don't see a guy who can really stretch the field like Devin Smith did. And I think they're trying to do that a little bit with Braxton Miller just because he's so fast, but it's it's not he's not the same athlete. Not to say that Braxton Miller isn't a an otherworldly athlete, but he's not the same guy. He's not giving you that crazy big vertical. And, and Michael Thomas, who is one of the most, you know, sure-handed wide receivers in the nation, again, isn't that guy. He's, he's more of a possession dude. So I still think they are in the process of trying to figure the, the offense out a little bit. And you kind of saw the result of that on, on Saturday. So the other side of the ball, obviously, um, you know, it was interesting. There were there were times in the game, especially in the third quarter, where they had three straight. Uh, I think it was three straight three and outs that they forced, yep. and they forced punts on like four four out of five at one point uh, drives. And Indiana's got a pretty good offense, but and despite the fact that they got you know um, Jordan Howard got hurt, they still got a pretty accomplished uh, backup running back, and they did a good job of shutting him down. They had one 
one negative play where they allowed the long run to the backup quarterback. But he had one again. He had one against him in last year's game too. But that was more of a scramble. This one was more of a, a zone read type play. Um, but I thought the defense overall played pretty well, especially uh, when you look at Tyquan Lewis and Adolphus Washington up front. Tyquan Lewis had a great game, and I think he's really made a lot of really good contributions throughout the year. But this is definitely his breakout. And Adolphus, you know, Adolphus Washington is really. I think he was kind of written off, right, a little bit. I know that he was in the starting lineup, and I know that a lot of people were talking about him as this, you know, great guy coming out of high school. I think he was a five-star maybe uh, coming out Mm -hmm. of Cincinnati. But maybe didn't live up to the hype. But I think he's played really, really well this year. You're not going to see the huge stats. I know a lot of people are kind of wringing their hands over the fact that Joey Bosa isn't, like, racking up all the, the sacks that people want him. But... Honestly, that doesn't necessarily translate into good defensive line play, that you're just getting all these sacks. I mean, that's, that's yeah. an indicator, but it's not necessarily the only one. So I think the defensive line in general is playing pretty well. I think the linebackers in general are playing pretty well. I think you're going to see some tests of that, though, because I think injuries are starting to mount a little bit. And honestly, maybe that is the, the major story. Aside from Ezekiel Elliott, th- those injuries might be the major story that comes out of the Indiana game for the next maybe month or so. Yeah, a lot of quiet little uh, defensive back injuries that are kind of adding up right. and, and have, forcing freshmen into, into playing. Like Marshawn Lattimore played quite a few snaps on Saturday. He did. And, you know, Gary Conley, if he's a little nicked up, and obviously, of course, on the offensive side of the ball, you know, you've you've got Corey Smith being out, which really stinks for him because that's a guy who was a big contributor on special teams and yeah, and a good blocker. Yeah, an excellent blocker. And it, you know, again, this is part of the normal football process, right? It's it's you're sure. not going to get through the entire season without an injury, but it is unfortunate to see. Uh, you would hope that these guys can be back. I mean, some of them, Corey Smith, unfortunately, is going to be out for the rest of the season. But some of these guys can be back and healthy when we really, really need them in you know mid to late November. Yeah, it would be nice because it's uh you know that's that's part of the luck of football because you can right. sit here and you can say we got all this talent, but at some point you know if enough guys go down, it doesn't really matter. Right. Exactly. Um, so the one the last thing I want to talk about is the the other negative thing. Obviously, penalties. We had penalties that were. You know, anywhere from the obvious uh, Darren Lee face mask to the questionable first pass interference on Eli Apple to yeah. the absolutely r- ridiculous block below the waist call on Braxton Miller. That was really stupid. Uh, that was that. Yeah, that <laughs> I you know, look, one of those that's one of those calls where I would get really angry if they weren't playing Indiana. You know what I mean? Like because yeah. against Indiana, you're like, oh, well, they should be beating him anyway. But God, that was a dumb call. I was really, really annoyed by that one. Yeah, wiped out a touchdown. It did. It did. And and you go back and you look and you, you know, block below the waist by number one and you you see the replay and you go, uh, yeah, you hit him right above the waist. Yeah, so how exactly. low? Like literally <laughs> right above it, like with his shoulder, not behind him. It was stupid. It was bad. But, uh, you know, those penalties, you can't have 100 yards in penalties and three three or four turnovers. You can't have that. No, and, and it, honestly, what, what really is kind of annoying about that in general isn't just the penalties and turnovers. It seems like that is the norm, right? That that can't be. You cannot have a successful team. You can have a, a number one team in the country and expect to stay there if you're constantly turning over the ball like that. And it's just, it's, it's dumb stuff. It's lack of concentration type stuff, which should not happen. And yeah. when, again, you know, we had a couple dropped interceptions, you, you can't keep doing that if you want to continue to be great. 
So that's something they got to tighten up. And again, they have the opportunity to do that. They're not going to be playing exactly, you know, the, the murders row here in the next couple of weeks, but man, that that's, that's rough. You cannot have a lot of success in November and December and January. If you're going to keep turning the ball over like that. Last mm-hmm. to the side. <laughs> it's time to get into a groove guys. I think is what we're right. saying. Time to get into a groove. So speaking of getting into a groove, Johnny Ginter, okay. why don't we get into a groove with ask us anything? And why don't you tell our, tell our esteemed listeners how they can ask us virtually. Well, not virtually, literally anything. Yes, you can ask us literally anything. You can do it in a couple of ways. One, you can ask anything via Twitter at 11 dubcast, or you can send us an email, which is dubcast at 11 warriors.com. All right, that's uh, that's how you do it. And we've got uh, a few on uh, Twitter that I'll get to, and then we'll read the emails. Uh, first on Twitter, Eric Enriquez wants to know, how long do we see Mike Weber? Love Zeke the Freak, but heard a lot of good things on Weber and want to see what he does. What do you think, Johnny? When do we see Mike Weber? Weber? I think there were some rumblings that said that Weber is starting to, to emerge a little bit. Obviously, he was injured, which which held him back for a little bit. But if he's back up to speed... I would not be surprised if Weber like was going to spell Zeke for a couple of, you know, series here and there, especially against mm-hmm. a team like Maryland. So I actually wouldn't be super surprised if he emerged a little bit this week. A couple, you know, maybe not a lot of carries, maybe like eight or ten carries. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I think we'll see Weber soon. I don't know if we'll see him against Maryland. I hope we do because it probably means that there's a big lead, and we right. haven't had a big lead in a while. So. <laughs> right. That'd be good. If we don't see him against uh, Maryland, then we'll probably see him the week after. He's getting close, and he had such a good camp that I, I certainly anticipate we'll see him at some point. Right. Um, so thanks for the question, Eric. Mr. Andrew Heyer wants to know, my 16-month-old just discovered the existence of Pixar's Cars. What's the best Pixar movie, and can it be narrowed down Not to cars. one, Johnny? <laughs> <laughs> well, what is it, Johnny? Uh, well, my, my favorite Pixar movie is Monsters, Inc. I don't know if that's the best one. The best one is probably Wally. But I really enjoy Monsters, Inc. I got to tell you something, though. Brad Bird, like, okay, so everybody loves The Incredibles, right? And I have, I have feelings yeah. about this. I'm going to try to keep them brief. Brad okay. Bird has a streak running through his movies where he just really loves, like, I think he just has something in him where he feels eternally disrespected as an artist. And so he directed, like, Ratatouille and The Incredibles, and I forget what the other one that he directed, but... There's a lot of this, like, I'm a misunderstood artist or I'm a misunderstood genius and the rest of the world hates me and how dare they not recognize how great I am. And that kind of puts me off some of the ones that he directs, although I can't deny it. Like, The Incredibles is a great movie. I'm not going to you know, mm-hmm. hate on it just because I have problems with Brad Bird's personal life. But <laughs> <laughs> but I see that a lot. And if you watch those movies, like, it kind of comes up. So I personally have Monster, Monsters, Inc. the most. It, it's just the most friendly to me. It's, it's cool. I know Toy Stories are all great. I, I've watched basically every Pixar movie, so I have, I have many opinions that I, I will save for another time. I felt like Wally was a bit heavy-handed for me, and I, I kind of like the, it's a little I kinda like the, uh, I like the voice actors for The Incredibles quite a bit. And, oh, yeah. uh I'm actually not sure if this is a Pixar movie. I'm not sure if was Brave a Pixar movie. It was. It was. I, I and then I'm gonna go with Brave. That was my favorite. I really like that one. I kind of. I'm not a big fan of Brave. I think it lost its like plotting it. a little bit, but it's not a bad movie. It's it's okay. I liked it. Kelly McDonald and uh, uh, shoot, the guy's name escapes me. Um, 
that played the father. Uh, oh, was his face Craig Ferguson? Uh, not Craig Ferguson, <laughs> but he's a Brit. Is a British. Craig Ferguson comedian. is in that movie though. Uh yeah and and I mean I like the cast so I mean and and I like the story and it's kind of cool and people Sorry. turn into bears people Sorry. turn into bears I like bears right. thank you Mr Andrew Heyer uh, Daryl McGillicuddy wants to know why is Ohio Stadium lacking that feel that other stadiums have loudness cheers gimmicky stuff <laughs> uh, okay better. he went he said he went to an SEC game last year and was absolutely floored by the environment wish we had it but we don't um, Daryl go back to Bama. We're not fooled. You're not an Ohio State fan. <laughs> you are definitely, uh, you know, part of the Roll Tide community. Come to troll us. Uh, I, you know, I can't speak to what the what the. I mean, you've been to a game this year, Johnny. I haven't been to I one have, this year. Yeah. Every time I go, the atmosphere is phenomenal. Yes, I would like more of the band and less of the piped in music. But other than that, I've never had a problem with our, our stadium experience. I have been to many games, obviously, but. Uh, you know, as a student and then as an alumni. But I do think there have definitely been games where the stadium atmosphere was god-awful, just bad. Everybody was, like, half asleep. I mean, I've gone mm-hmm. to the Akron's. I've gone to the... Akron's, yeah. I mean, sometimes that's just a product of who you're playing. Well, that's what I'm saying. And, and part of it is because of that. And I, what I would say is that when the LSUs and Alabamas and Georgias of the world are playing those type of teams, their stadiums are just as bad. I I think it's kind of a misnomer for them to be like, oh yeah, we're always up. Like, no, you're not. They don't even fill yeah. the, they don't even fill the stadium half the time when they're playing those teams. Um, but I will say that I have even been in big environments. Like I was at the Texas game, you know, the big crazy Vince in Texas game. Yeah. I was at the one versus two Michigan game. I've been in other really big crazy games, and Ohio Stadium always gets super hyped for those. Right, and, I, 85 Iowa was nuts. Right, uh, yeah. Notre, Notre Dame game in 95 was amazing. Right, and the one thing that I would say is that kind of the middle-level games are very hit-and-miss for Ohio State. I will say this, though. I think they did a smart job of repositioning the student seats by putting everybody in the south end. That that has the students like get really crazy and hyped. They had it, they had them far too like granulated around the stadium before. That was stupid. You can't separate students that much. They're they're not going to make much of an impact that way. So they've kind of got two big student sections now, and I think they did a really good job with it in either end zone. I think that's really smart. And I got to tell you something. I was at the uh, the Northern Illinois game, and this crowd was really great. Like I, I got to uh-huh. give the crowd props, even in the rain and the crappy weather. They did an excellent job. Uh, just getting up for every down, like third down, it was it was a really good experience. So in past years, I would agree that the fans have been kind of meh, but I think it's starting to get a little better. I think people are starting to get a little more into it. Yeah, and I agree with you that it's it's largely a product of the game itself yeah. and not not the stadium. Because I, I mean, I've been you know I've been up there the last few years for for the the eleven Dubgate games, right. and they've all been phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Wisconsin and oh, yeah, Nebraska, ridiculous. They're yeah, they're they're really really great. So uh, I I don't think that there's an issue with this with the uh, with the stadium environment there, and and there's always something that can be improved. But I don't think there's a big problem. Yeah, so. the only thing I can compare it to is the Bowling Green game that I went to once. It's the only other college experience. <laughs> uh, certainly yeah. better than that. Yeah, I've been to UCF game. That's not nice. uh, not. It's not on the level of Ohio State. That was UCF BYU last year. It was not on that level, uh, and it was not a full stadium. Right. And it's and it's a significantly smaller stadium. So what do we got in the email jar there, Johnny? We have a lot of emails. We're gonna we're gonna have to kind of motor through these here. Okay. Email comes in a jar, right? 
Sure. Uh, <laughs> Brian uh, Blewett, uh, this may be something that you need to open your own email for. He says, hello, Michael and Johnny. Who of the following individuals would win a staring contest of the you lose if you blink variety? And he sent us four pictures. <laughs> yes, I've seen the pictures. Okay, good. Yes. Great. Okay, so one picture is uh, Death Stare Urban Meyer where he's about to kill that referee, which is great. Yeah. Uh, Mornay's nightmare version of William Wallace. So uh, <laughs> uh, Mel Gibson is William Wallace with the blood on his face. A disarmingly kind-looking, smiling Mark D'Antonio. Or a probably photoshopped, it is photoshopped, wet koala bear. Uh, I have included photos for reference. What do you What do you think, Michael? Uh, Urban Meyer angry will never blink. Oh, ever. my God. Urban Meyer is terrifying. That clip. <laughs> like, you know, I don't get really intimidated by other adults anymore. You know, I'm a 30-year-old man. I'm, I'm like 6'2". I'm in decent shape. I don't. People don't really scare me. But holy crap, him and that gif, it looks like he's going to use his mind to explode that referee's head like in scanners. Like, it's yeah. scary. So I'm going to go with, uh, I agree with you, I'm going to go with the Urban Meyer death stare. Uh, disarmingly happy, Mark D'Antonio is a little freaky, though, too. Okay, <laughs> okay so Gregory Metz has some questions here. Uh, <laughs> also included a cat, a very fat cat, says heavy breathing. Uh, well, guys, that was an up and down game on Saturday. It gave me a few heart murmurs. That's unfortunate. Hope you yeah. both survived and had a successful weekend. We did. Otherwise, we mm-hmm. wouldn't be doing the podcast. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite horror movies? And if I've asked that before, what's your favorite new horror movie? I don't think he's asked that before. So let's go all time classic, Michael, since it is October. Uh, you know, I really like the more I. The more I see this, and I didn't really appreciate it when I was younger and saw it, I kind of thought it was lame. But the more I see it now, yeah. as an as an adult, I like I really like the classic Psycho. Ooh, okay. Um, I, I think that that holds up very well as you look back yeah, at it. Yeah, a good one. And, and and then there was a, there was another one that really freaked me out. That was a kind of an obscure um, uh, an obscure movie called Silent Scream, hmm. and. Like hardly anybody I know has heard of this yeah, movie, I but I, re- I I I really I really dug that, and of course you know Night of the Living Dead because I like zombie movies. Uh, tell you what, I there are a lot of good classics. I do like you know the the first Night of the Living Dead and Psycho. Psycho is an amazing movie. I really like Psycho, obviously because you know Hitchcock's such a great director. I will say, uh, let's go with the new one. I'm going to say a comedy horror movie called Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Uh, <laughs> have you seen that, Michael? I have not. Oh, my God. You have to see that movie. I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but please, for the love of God, watch that movie if you can. I can I'm not going to even tell you what the general uh, conceit of the movie is because it's you just have to watch it for yourself. It's really, okay. really funny. And if you enjoyed, like, teen horror movies from, like, the 80s just for their campiness, that is a great, great movie to watch. Uh, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. It is yeah. great. Does Zombieland count as a horror movie? I would say so. Zombieland's okay. Right. It's not a bad movie. That's... That's that that and maybe um, Cabin in the Woods are my two Cabin favorite modern ones. Good. Yeah, Cabin in the Woods is a great movie. Uh, okay, so two, what Halloween animal would you be if you could be one? I would be a big gross bat. Uh, yeah, I'd be a bat so I could sleep upside down. I would be a bat so I get rabies and then fly in people's hair and freak them out. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> bats do get rabies. Um, okay, is it possible? This is the philosophical question of the week, by the way. Uh, is it possible to find the meaning of existence? Is it even worth the attempt, Michael? Uh, it's probably possible, but I, I doubt it. Most things are not worth the effort, so probably not. I would say that the meaning of existence is entirely subjective to one's own perception of reality. Is it worth the attempt? 
I think so, but only insofar as you are searching it for your own meaning, not for a general universal meaning that applies to everyone, because that's just, that's just silly. I don't it's 42, think. by the way. <laughs> that's right, 42. What's seven times six? Um, so, Will Brickles has a question. Well, <laughs> any word on Corey Smith? Uh, well, yes, unfortunately. It didn't look good. Out of the year. Yeah, it didn't look good, but I haven't heard anything definitive. Assuming he's out, did the Buckeyes even have another true receiver? I don't see one on the depth chart. Hmm. Uh, well, he is out for the year. Do you, Second part of his question, though, do you think that somebody's going to step up and kind of be that true receiver? Yeah, I think it already started with Corey getting hurt on Saturday. I thought that Jalen Marshall had a good game at receiver, other than the fumbles, which, you know, obviously, you know, uh, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? (laughs) Um, But, yeah, the fumbles got to stop. But, I mean, I think Jalen Marshall showed that he can get out and catch the ball in a lot of different areas and do a lot of different things with it and gain a lot of yards. So all he has to do is eliminate the mistakes, and uh, I think he's the guy that can take that spot. Will also wants to know, uh, you know, he's saying that he thinks maybe Braxton Miller's presence is hurting more than it's helping on the offense. How do you feel about that? I don't think it's hurting at all. I think, um, you know, we have have a guess we're going to ask about that a little bit. But uh, I, I think that... For my money, there's there's no there's nothing hurting. I mean, the one thing is that they just need to figure out what their identity is. Are they going to be a team that tries to get him the ball in space? Are they going to be a power run team? What are they going to do? Right. And and that's the that's the bigger issue to me. I don't think that I, that Braxton's present hurts. I, I think, think if it anything, only, it helps. I think it only hurts in as much as they don't have an idea what to do with them. If they're just wasting plays on garbage ideas for him that really aren't going anywhere and that everybody can see it coming from a mile away, then that does hurt the offense. Not that Braxton Miller himself is doing it, but maybe the way he's being utilized. Uh, but I agree with you. Like He's he's just too talented to, to hurt. If they can figure out a way to integrate him smoothly into the offense, he's he's a huge asset. I don't. I mean, you don't don't underestimate the ability of Urban Meyer to play the long con either. <laughs> because... Yeah. You, I mean, obviously we know what's going to happen. If you say, oh, Braxton Miller's coming in motion as the snap's coming. What's going to happen? <laughs> huh. Is it going to be a touch pass? Oh, he, at, he's in the Wildcat. I wonder, is he going to run yeah, the ball? <laughs> yeah, at some point there will be a wrinkle off of that, right. and it's probably not going to come against Maryland, and it's probably not going to come against you know, Rutgers. It's probably going to come against Michigan State or somebody like that. And that's when we're going to see the you know the long con pay off. So right. you've got to be patient. So is that all of our questions, Johnny? That is it. Oh, we did it. We did it. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for your questions, for Ask Us Anything. We really enjoy bringing enlightenment to your dim, <laughs> sheltered <laughs> lives. Your horrible <laughs> lives that are only made worth, worth. They only have any semblance of worth because of the 11 dub cast. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, and you you know, get your questions in for next week because you never know, you know, how much we can help your life improve. That's right. Okay, well, joining us now, as he does every week during the football season, our good buddy Matt Finkus for Finkus on Football. Matt, how's it going tonight? Oh, it's going great, guys. How about you? It's going awesome. We 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 just crushed Indiana, right? We just <laughs> crushed them. Neither we won. Our we won the game. So that's yeah, right. We, we were told to be happy with that. So I guess we five won. five and zero. Oh. Yes, five and zero. Oh. I wanted to get your take, Matt, on the offense because we're hearing that the coaching staff thinks that the work is progressing and that it's just a matter of eliminating some turnovers and some red zone issues and a couple yeah. of penalties. What 
What's your take on it? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I've, I've had a chance to think about this quite a bit, and I've, I've had a chance to kind of go back and watch the game again. Um, I, I, here's my take in, in kind of three different segments. I think Jay Richardson made a great point uh, on the postgame show where it seems like we're trying to force Cardell Jones into running an offense that was built for JT Barrett instead of an offense that was built for Cardell Jones. Um, I think that, you know, each one of those guys has, has definitely has a skill set that they bring to the table. I think they're different skill sets. And I think the offense that we see now with the intermediate passing game, uh, the read option, the flat-out speed option, which Cardell Jones is not good at, um, those are things that JT Bear is really good at. And so I don't understand why, and I'm sure a lot of the fans don't understand why, it seems like the offense that is built for JT is not being run by JT, but is being run by Cardell Jones. And, you know, I've got no problem if that's going to be your guy, but let's, let's tailor the offense to him. Let, let, let's tailor the offense to Cardell Jones and what he does best. We've got fast people. We can stretch the team. You know, Devin Smith isn't the only fast guy that we had on the football team. We can stretch the field. We can get behind uh, the defense. We can run off tackle with, with Zeke. So I, I just think that it's a – you know, coaches are stubborn sometimes in their philosophy and what they think should happen and trying to get players to fit into what they think should happen, um, you know, unless they're pressed. I think that, you know, last year at the end of the season when JT went down, they're like, okay, well, we've got to just do something to simplify this. To, to you know, what are the, They took the approach of what does Cardell Jones do good? Okay, let's do those five things and, and mm-hmm. made it really simple. And it seems like coming into the season, they went back to, okay, well, let's make him a, a regular quarterback and open up the offense and do all those things. And that just doesn't suit him, it seems, to this point. So, um, you know, as they get through that progression, hopefully, and, and whittle down and, and get a little bit more uh, confidence under his belt as to doing the things that he does, because a quarterback isn't going to feel confident, you know, calling plays that, that he doesn't feel comfortable running. I mean, you, you see that all time, all the time with offensive coordinators at every level. You know, they'll go to their quarterbacks and say, okay, wh- what do you want to run? What, what do you feel good about? What do you feel good about? What do you feel good, you know, throwing? What do you feel good audibling to? You know, what are your checks that you want to run? And I don't – it doesn't seem like they're doing that with Cardell at this point. And maybe that's, you know, a little bit of the, the you know, the transition between um, – Ed Warner and Tim Beck and the play calling. And, and, you know, there's just a lot of moving parts there. So, you know, I mean, again, this is my opinion, and Urban gets paid a lot more money than I do to to do these things. But I would think that you'd want to try to get the offense back down to something more simplistic that suits Cardell Jones's skill set. You know, I mean, and the second thing, obviously, is just, you know, we're we're not doing the little things even remotely well. You know, we're not being good on penalties. We're not being good on turnovers. I mean, 19 turnovers in the last seven games is just, it's amazing. I mean, flat out amazing that we are, that we have all, that we've won seven of those seven games (laughs) with turning the ball over 19 times. I mean, in two of those games, three of those games against pretty quality opponents in Virginia Tech, Alabama, and Oregon last year. And you turn the ball over that many times against good football teams, and you're going to lose a lot. And we have it. So um, that is, is, that's just a, you know, a, a point of emphasis. That's just the coaching staff taking the time to, to make sure that that's a, a point of emphasis for them because that's not going to continue. You know, that's just – that's playing with fire. Uh, you know, eventually I – mean, we, we all remember Purdue in, what was it, 2009 when we turned mm-hmm. the ball over nine times and, and, you know, ended up getting beat. That's eventually going to happen if you keep doing this unless you make it a priority. And, you know, the penalties and those kind of things, they're going to come – 
Um, and, and they should get cleaned up as well. But I noticed that, you know, the turnovers are really the disturbing thing for me. Uh, you know, putting the ball on the ground, not ha- having it secure. And we've had it turned over in some really inopportune times where, you know, I mean, going back to, again, like last season, and even going back to the Virginia Tech game, turning the ball over in our own end, that's just something you cannot do as an offense. You definitely can't do it as frequently as we seem to be able to do it. So, you know, those are the things that, that need to be cleaned up on the offensive side of the ball. And, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a matter of if Cardell is the guy, we just let's make him as comfortable as we possibly can and give him as many tools. I mean, that's a coach's job is do you put players in the position to where they can excel. It's, it's not about your philosophy. It's not about your offense. It's not about your defense. It's these are the players I have. These are the guys we've recruited to come in. You know, maybe they panned out exactly like we thought they were. Maybe they didn't. But this is these are the ingredients we got to make the make the dinner tonight. So we can't just decide that we're going to make you know filet mignon when we've got chicken breast. We've got to make sure that we that we're cooking the best meal that we have with the ingredients that we have. And and I think that if we get back to doing that, we'll be really successful because our talent is off the charts. Right. Well, let's talk about one of those incredibly important ingredients in Ezekiel Elliott. And, you know, I'm an endlessly optimistic person. So I, I want to talk about the, the third best rushing game in Ohio State history. You know, Ezekiel Elliott has been consistently good to great for the past, you know, nine, ten games or so. But what made this game so successful for him? Well, I think that you saw that, um, you know, Indiana from the start of the game, you know, they just decided you're not going to run the football against us. We're going to put eight, nine guys in the box, and you're not going to run the football. And and they challenged, and at the beginning, of, I mean, I think he had like 30 yards in the first half, and they were winning that battle. You know, the right. offensive line coach and, and, and the coordinators went in, and they made some adjustments, made some blocking schemes, maybe got one guy out of the box. But Indiana was, was daring Ohio State to pass. And when you do that with the safeties up that close to the line of scrimmage, with the, with the running back like Zeke, who has that, you know, that breakaway speed, that's, it's the, it's the old, you know, cliche of break one tackle and you're gone because everyone is up so close to the line of scrimmage. It's the same. You saw the same thing happen with Ohio state uh, on the quarterback run. When, when, when we play cover four and those safeties are down five yards closer to the ball than they normally are, you've got to be really, really in tune with what's happening. And, and you've got to really be in tune and it, and it's an acquired skill. Make no doubt about it. You know, that's, it's one of the hardest things. So I don't really knock, you know, Von Bell and Tyvis Powell for, for taking bad angles sometimes because, man, that is what's asked of those safeties in that defense is really, really tough to be able to, to get to it to the edge and, and get a good angle when you're playing that low and you're so involved in the run game. So I, I think that, that that's one of the major things that happened there with, the, with, with Zeke in that game is Indiana was, was continuing crowding the line and Ohio State finally just got a blocking scheme that they could get on them with and were able to do it and put Zeke one-on-one with someone, and he's going to win that battle, you know, seven out of ten times. And he won three big battles uh, on uh, Saturday and went 55, 65, and 75 yards. Not too bad. Not a bad day's work. Not a bad average. Uh, I think he was averaging <laughs> like 20 yards a carry. Right. I want to st- I want to stay on the offensive side of the ball uh, a little bit. We've I've heard uh, this from quite a few people, not necessarily uh, learned people, but I've heard it from several people that you mean Ohio fans? State doesn't. When you say not exactly learned people, I, you mean I'm not. You mean I'm not. Fans? I'm not going to. I'm not going to put a label on them. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to call them. I'm just going to call them people. Uh, gotcha. I've heard 
them say that uh, Ohio State doesn't know what to do with Braxton Miller. And I wanted your opinion on whether you think that's true or whether you think it's that Braxton Miller is in the first year of a conversion to H-back and it's just uh, not quite there yet. You know, I, here's my impression of what's going on with Braxton Miller. I think if everything was running smoothly on the offense and they were getting in the end zone and they weren't having any trouble moving the ball and, you know, and, you know, Cardell is completing passes on a regular basis. And, and that's the other thing, you know, I, I don't want to knock Cardell Jones, but we've got to stop looking at the numbers, just the numbers and the way that he plays. And I made this, it, it kind of made me angry when I heard Urban in the, uh, in the post-game press conference, you know, when someone asked him about Cardell's play and he's like, yeah, he played okay and rattled off some numbers. I mean, you know, when you've got five completions on those little push passes to jet sweeps, that's not, those aren't really completions. You know, <laughs> let's, let's be honest yeah. about that. And, you know, my point was, let's expect more than just playing okay out of that position or any position at, at Ohio state, you know, okay. To me, that's not what we're about. We're not about playing. Okay. And when you play okay is when you beat Indiana by seven points. And that's not anything that, that anyone wants out of this deal. So I, I think that um, if everything was moving, you know, in a fluid manner on the offense, I think you'd see Braxton Miller lined up in the slot running routes like he was doing against Virginia Tech and doing very successfully. And then, yeah, maybe mixing him in the backfield a little bit. But I think the struggles to find an identity – so to speak, in in the offense and, and what they're going to really do well. And maybe with Cardell Jones' limitation to run the ball really effectively from that quarterback position is why you're seeing Braxton Miller in that, you know, taking a direct snap and running the football some. I mean, those are that's just speculation on my part, but I think if the offense is running smoothly, then you're going to see Braxton out in the slot and running routes because I think he's really good at doing that. I mean, for to, to be a first-year player – you know, from what I've watched, he's he's not crisp, but he's athletic enough to, to really get by with doing that. He's got good hands. So I'd like to see him more just playing the H-back role, you know, doing more of what Jalen Marshall does than trying to find a way to get him touches. So would you say, I mean, going forward, obviously, it's not exactly a murderer's row, right? Does Ohio State no. still have the time to figure things out, or do they really need to start solidifying who they are like now? I think that we're getting really, really close to the time where they need to really start start figuring it out. Um, you know, Maryland is a bad football team. Right. Uh, you know, this, this, there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity against Rutgers. There's an opportunity, you know, frankly, against Penn State. There, there, there's a lot of opportunities before you get to that Michigan State game. And Michigan State's got its own problem. So, you know, the world is not lost here, even playing as bad as we are playing. I mean, you know, Michigan State has got a lot of injury issues as well on the offensive line and in the defensive backfield that is not have them firing on all cylinders. And, you know, the good thing about Ohio State is, and the people are like, well, we shouldn't even be ranked number one. I don't care what we should be ranked right now. It's October. It doesn't matter what you're ranked. Right. What were we ranked last year in October? Like 32nd. I mean, who knows? So it doesn't matter what you're ranked right now. It does matter, and what is a little bit disturbing from a you know from an analyst standpoint is I don't see week to week improvement. You know I didn't see uh, you know necessarily Cardell Jones get better from last week as his first week as kind of a not looking over his starter to this week. You know obviously Zeke is Zeke. He's been the one consistent guy on that offensive 
side of the ball that can really, you know, do whatever he wants. I think Michael Thomas is probably second to that with where he is just going to be there every time. You know, I, I Jalen Marshall, did he get better from last week to this week? I'm, not in my book. You know, th- th- that's the thing that I kind of judge this by. And, and as you look at through a season, are these guys getting better? Is it getting better from week to week? And I mean, I don't know if I would call last week to this week a a stalemate or even a slight regression, but th- but that's the issue. That's the real issue when you talk about where you want to be at the end of the year. You've got to continue to get better every week, not be flatlining or, or getting worse. All right, Matt. Well, you know, we appreciate, as always, your input on uh, on what you saw, and we'll, uh, of course, bring you back in next week and talk about the Maryland Terrapins. So, yeah, hopefully uh, next week's a little better. I feel, I feel like I was really Debbie Downer this week, so I'm, I'm hoping to get a little <laughs> bit more uh, – a little bit more uh, happy talk next week, you know. Right. Well, I think you're just kind of um, you're you're kind of not much different than I think the average uh, Ohio State supporter really at this point. <laughs> like, yeah, it's I mean, not... and I think that's what's what's frustrating for a lot of the fans is they see all this talent, they they see it out there, and you know they they don't see it enacted. You know, they they don't see it playing out on on the field as they as they think it should on paper. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, you know, we've, we've talked about it at, at length that chemistry is a big, important ingredient, and sometimes it only takes one or two missing ingredients to really change the, the recipe. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to even go any further on that analogy. That analogy is played out. <laughs> yeah, you can't, be, you can't beat my, my steak and chicken dinner analogy, so you might as well yeah, put it <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, Matt Finkus for Finkus on Football. Thanks again, man. All right, guys, talk to you next week. Okay, joining us this week, uh, we're really, really glad to have him back. Uh, Corey Lindsley, former Ohio State center, now with the Green Bay Packers, and had a tremendous rookie season a year ago. Corey, thanks for coming back on the Dubcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, our pleasure, for sure. Uh, one one of the things we wanted to have you on, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is because, uh, you know, Ohio State's struggled out of the gates a little bit this year in their, their national championship defense season. And part of, of what we've seen is a little bit of maybe a little rust with the offensive line. And I wondered if you could maybe uh, shed some light on, you know, coming back after you know you've been together with a group for for a year already or two years and then you come back again and you still have to find that that game rhythm and and how hard is that uh you know it, it is kind of hard and it's especially hard because you know they went into virginia tech and they kind of didn't get off to a fast start but they they came back and, and really shut that one out in the end and um i think they played to their full potential really only a half a game this season as a team, and that was in the second half of the Virginia Tech game. Um, since then, it's kind of been they performed. You know, the, the scores, you know, didn't really dictate how they played against Hawaii. I think they could have played a lot better, um, but obviously against NIU and, and Indiana, didn't they, they didn't look um, up to par, if you would. But I think a lot of that comes from. Excuse me. A lot of that comes from. Like you just said, getting back together, getting in the swing of things, and teams like Indiana, who you played before and they, they know Ohio State, um, they're going to prepare for you and, and give you their best shot. And if you're not on on sync with everything, especially with the offensive line, uh, that, that's when that's when you're going to have trouble, like like they did. But I, I think with as much criticism as, as they've gotten, I think they have played 
um, pretty well. And, you know, obviously everybody can play better, but I think they, they, they look, they don't look as bad as everybody says they look. Uh, do you think some of the maybe indecision about who's quarterback uh, hurts the offensive line a little bit in terms of how they have to protect and, and kind of the way they play? No, I don't, I don't think that, um, I don't think that's a factor in, in how they're playing. I think those guys, you know, I know all five of them, and I think those guys just, just put their head down and kind of work, you know what I mean? They, they don't really pay right. attention to too much of the media and, and well, too I guess, much of the... I guess I was ahead. thinking more in terms of, like, like play style and whatnot. Like, do you have to, like, play offensive line differently if you've got a guy like Cardell Jones back there versus JT Barrett? Oh, not at all. I think that both of those guys at quarterback are... are Two, I mean, we, we probably got the most fortunate position in the country to have two guys that could start on nearly every program in the country. And, and really, it's just it, it's nice blocking for both of them because they're, they're they got that scramble ability and they do have um, the ability to to swing the ball like they do. So really, it's it's just a matter of getting it's the communication. I think that is is. I guess the thing that that could change um, between the two of them, but regardless, I think those guys um, just just go full steam ahead with whoever is a quarterback. Corey, one of the things we've seen this year from Ohio State's offensive line is at times Jacoby Boren has had uh, some issues with the long snap, and we we didn't really see a lot of that last year. Is that something that? Um, you know, once you start thinking about it too much, it can get in your head and you can you can kind of make things worse or you can get a case of the yips, as they call it, or, you know, what kind of goes through a center's mind after a bad snap? Yeah, I, ha- I have noticed that, um, and that's very uncharacteristic of Jacoby. Uh, and I-, I talked to him about it, and he said, you know, he'll, he'll get it right and he's-, he's working on it. But that that is kind of, just like you said, it's kind of like as soon as you have one, and the worst is when you have one and you don't think it was bad. And then you're like, man, what what did I do? You know, you're kind of like <laughs> overthinking it and you're overcompensating for stuff. And, and I think it's just a matter of him getting in the rhythm and everything. And um, he'll get it right. I know he will. He's, he's a, a tough dude who works hard and, and wants to do right. So obviously he's going to get it right. But, um, yeah, those, those the snaps definitely haven't been – uh, characteristic of what we've seen of Jacoby, especially last year. One thing, I mean, that was obviously a huge pos- positive against Indiana was Ezekiel Elliott having a gigantic rushing game, and I think part of that is that the offensive line just run blocked really, really well on a lot of the uh, a lot of those plays. What's like, I guess maybe an offensive lineman's favorite thing to kind of do uh, in terms of like you know, a counter play or like, a, you know, a day where you're like bringing a guy around, like what, what's the, the best thing, the, the most fun thing to do on a, like a running play like that? I think, I think our favorite play at Ohio State was always our, our tight inside zone and just a play that you can really kind of forget about, um, not forget, but rather you don't have to focus on the assignment as much as just peeing off on a guy and, Right, and really putting your hands down and, and grinding out one, but I I really think that I saw a couple times in the Indiana game and um, and in the Northern Illinois game those guys have done a heck of a job with um, with pulling. I think both guards, uh, Billy and uh, Pat, 
and Jacoby as well when he gets out there on some of those pulling plays. They've done a heck of a job cutting down guys, and that's hard to get out there on the edge with those guys. I I just did it last week. I missed uh, I missed the safety coming through because those guys can can squeeze in some some tiny holes and then um, make the tackle. So it's to for those guys to get out there on the edge, cut those guys down, and make those big holes for my Zeke run. I think that. That's one thing that they've definitely done at an elite level, and I think they've um, uh, they've done it pretty well. Now you've gotten a, a chance to obviously uh, pave the way for guys like you know Carlos Hyde and 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 be part of those you know huge rushing days. They say the announcers always say, and the analysts on TV they always say that the, the best thing for an offensive line is is to run block because you get to be aggressive and you get to go on the offensive. Is that really true? Is that what you guys really like to do better than pass protection? Oh, definitely. Cause it, not that pass protection isn't, um, you know, part of our job, obviously it, it's, um, something that we, we do, but I think the nature of an offensive lineman and, and really where our pride comes from is, is, is the running game. When you look at running statistics and, um, yards per carry and all that stuff. But that's kind of the statistics that we look at and we think, man, you know, we're, we take a little bit more pride in that other than, um, you know, passing yards and, you know, yards after catch. You know, those, those don't really pertain to us. Those are kind of skill guys. But I guess um, really the only um, stat that we like in, in the passing game is, you know, lack of sacks. You know, the, the more sacks we have, the worse. You know, so... Uh, on the other hand, the more more rushing yards, the more yards per carry, you know, the long runs, the explosive games, all those stats, we love seeing them in the run game because that that means we are doing our job. So, you know, in the NFL, you guys, you know, you you just come off a a win against San Francisco. Um, You guys put up a lot of yardage. What, you know, Eddie Lacey had a really good game, and, and I know you guys paved the way for that, and that was awesome. But I'm also really interested in, like, so we've talked a little bit about how mobile quarterbacks and, and how that translates to the NFL. And Aaron Rodgers is not a dude who I think a lot of people consider to be, like, this great, like, he's running around and he's he's doing the kind of things that you see out of, like, I don't know, Marcus Mariota or uh, JT Barrett or whatever. But he's still really mobile. And how does that change how you block for him? Uh, you know, it, it changes our mindset more than anything. It, not necessarily the technique or anything, but right. um, you, you know with a guy like Aaron, I, I think he does do uh, uh, a heck of a job. And I think he's as mobile as a quarterback as any in the NFL in, in terms of pocket movement and extending the play and, I think he's he's the best in the NFL that does that uh, or with that um, from that aspect. But uh, it it just you know you know the play is not over. There's a, there's a 99% chance when you're blocking your guy, no matter what happens, if it's on a fast play, the 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 play is probably not over after the first three or four seconds if the guy hasn't already you know isn't already starting to chase the ball and. So you just got to take the mindset going into every pass play that, you know, this is not going to be, no matter if we call it quick, a quick throw or, or a seven-step drop or, or we know that the play is designed to go for uh, an extended amount of time, you know you can't, you can't take that mindset going into it. You got to take the mindset going into it that this guy's going to extend the play, he's going to throw the ball 
40, 50 yards down the field. Somebody's <laughs> going to be open, and then we're going to have to run down there and do the whole thing over again. You know, <laughs> it, it's it's a it's quite a honestly, God, it's quite amazing to watch week in and week out him do that. Um, I mean, it's every it's every week. So you got to take them again. It's it's taking a different mindset that um, knowing that you can't just block for a certain amount of time. You got to keep that thing rolling. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, kind of, because one of the things that I always wonder about is, you know, when you're set up and you've got your guys, your guy covered, and you know the pocket seems to be all intact and everything, and then you catch it just out of the corner of your eye, you catch. Oh, wait a minute, is that my quarterback running over there? It, what goes through your mind when when you you know it's like, yeah, we got this covered, everything's good, and then all of a sudden you see your quarterback running down the field. Yeah, I mean it's just. It, you're kind of like, oh shit, you know. <laughs> That's honestly what goes through your mind. I, I can't explain it better other than that. Uh, but it's, yeah, I mean, that, that's probably the best way I could put it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> uh-huh. So um, before we let you go, I, I did want to uh, just ask you about. Um, you know, the, the hurry up offense or the, you know, the, the tempo and how that affects offensive linemen, because, um, you know, you guys, you know, are, are the big guys and, you know, you've got, you know, you're trying to fend off 290, 300 pound, you know, defensive tackles. And then now the coach wants you to go fast. How does that affect you? And, and can you keep that going for like extended periods of time? Or do you actually need some, some breaks in that? You know, it's, it's a it's a huge weapon and a huge asset to offensive linemen. As much as you wouldn't think it would be, because we're bigger guys and we're, because um, you know we're not exactly asked to run and speed up a lot um, outside of a five yard box. But uh, it, it's a huge weapon because if you can prepare yourself for it and be in shape and and all that, you know, defensive coaches all the time they're asking every single one of their guys to to chase the ball. And they're coaching every single one of their guys, no matter where the ball is on the field, left, right, you know, 30 yards downfield, everybody's going to run to the ball or else they're giving them lopes. They're giving them, you know, they're downgrading them for the play. So if you're an offensive lineman and you can, you can get a big play, and that's a big run, big pass, whatever it is, you want to go fast because you know that defensive lineman is not only – tired mentally because he's like, damn, they just hit a big play on us. But he's also tired physically because he just ran 30 yards downfield for nothing. And, and now <laughs> we have the first down and and we're going to get things rolling. So it, it's a huge asset. It, it nullifies the pass rush. Defensive ends get tired. Defensive tackles get tired. And, and they start just leaning on you and bull rushing. It, it nullifies their their um, their ability to plug the gaps and two gap and, and stop the run because because they're tired honestly and it's it's a huge it's a huge asset for uh, an offensive lineman and I think all all positions obviously in offense and I think that's why obviously at Ohio State we had a lot of success with that um, the no huddle up tempo offense and in Green Bay we we run kind of the same thing that um, we're known for our up tempo style offense and, and teams know we're gonna we're going to hit as many plays as we can um, throughout the course of the game. And that's, it's a huge weapon, honest to God. Well, Corey Lindsley, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and talking to us about offensive line play, because I mean, really 
uh, I've sort of gotten into this groove now where I'm I'm not ball watching anymore when I watch a game. I'm sort of watching the offensive and defensive lines come at each other. And so it's really fascinating to me, and I think a lot of people could learn a lot more about the game if they just focused on the on the wars in the trenches. So thanks so much for coming on, and uh, you know we hope to have you on again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, and I hope I'll be back soon. Absolutely. Woo! Well, that just about does it, Johnny, for an 11 dubcast. We, of course, want to thank our, our very special guest, Corey Lindsley of the Green Bay Packers, former Ohio State Center, and Matt Finkus from Finkus on Football. Uh, once again, both were fantabulous. Yeah, I mean, I'm really glad. Corey Lindsley, I mean, obviously Matt is, is really awesome for continuing to contribute his time to this, but Corey Lindsley, man, I got to tell you something. I am very disarmed by people who are very successful and very good at what they do, yet incredibly humble and down-to-earth. That really kind of freaks me out a little bit, because <laughs> he shouldn't be that cool, but Corey Lindsley is a super cool, nice guy, and we've had him on twice now. He's been brilliant both times, so I'm, I'm really glad that we got him on. Yep, and good luck to Corey and the pack this year. Um, Corey's already, in just his second year, one of the best at his position yep. in the NFL, so... Uh, very, very thrilled that he would come on and uh, you know give us some of his very valuable time. That's right. Uh, I got a final question before we go, Johnny. For you. All right, let's do it. Hit me up. All right. So you, you mentioned earlier that you would uh, you would be a bat if you I were uh, choosing to to be any fruit Halloween <laughs> fruit bat. Uh, you would be any Halloween. Animal. I don't want to drink blood. Eat- so let me ask you this. What is the scariest Halloween animal to you? Oh man. The scariest Halloween animal to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm okay with cats. Cats don't really scare me that much. Can can I include like ghouls and goblins and stuff? Well, no, they got to be an animal, not like a, like a, okay. It can't be fictional. Then what, what other, what other Halloween animals are we talking about? Well, let's see. There's obviously we've we've touched on bats. There's spiders. Uh, spiders. Sure I don't like spiders. Other. I hate spiders. Spiders freak me out. Too many <laughs> legs. Any like I don't. I'm okay with bugs, but once you start getting above six legs and you get to like eight and ten and like uh, fifty or a hundred legs, like screw that. Get out of my face. That I don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah, I'm with you on the spider thing. I'm not a big fan of them. Um, I am a. I'm a. I'm a big fan of smashing them when I see them in my house. Because I saw I don't the spider want... came out of my lunch today. You know, I was just sitting in the, the school cafeteria and all these kids are around. I'm eating this lunch. Spider comes out of my lunch bag and I'm like, play it cool, Johnny. Be cool, be cool. And I just <laughs> smash it. I'm like, all right. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I, I live uh, in a house full of women. I've, I've, I've had two daughters and a wife, obviously. And, yeah. you know, when the spiders show up, I hear screaming. And that kind of freaks me out. I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell? What's going on? Right. And then you have to go kill this thing. And then, you know, so then I got to get up from what I'm doing and go find this thing. And then, you know, make sure I can get a good shot the first time because, you know, you never know. If you if you come at the king, you best not miss. I agree. So <laughs> you you have to make sure you got a, a good flat surface and, you know, you, you make good contact because otherwise well, all hell could break. I want to tell you something because my bedroom when I was a kid, my bedroom was in the basement of my, my parents' house. And it was right by the boiler room, and so spiders would come out all the time, and I'd wake up with bites all over me. And I just, I just learned to not like spiders. They they really would like I'd be half asleep, and one would like come down from the ceiling and dangle in front of me, and it just would, not not See, really that, the best of times. 
Now you're freaking me out. I'm going to have nightmares tonight. <laughs> good. Don't do that. Good. Uh, good. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. We beat Indiana 5-0. and Yay. Maryland, Maryland and homecoming next week, John. That's right. And have you got a date to the homecoming? State. No one cares about homecoming <laughs> at Ohio State. You, you don't have a date to the homecoming dance? I mean, I've got a girlfriend. And she's okay. Well, there we're you not go. going to the homecoming dance. We're gonna do uh, adult okay. things because we're adults. Are you gonna go to the parade? Are you gonna no. go see that? I don't care. Uh, no one cares no. about the homecoming parade. <laughs> I don't think I ever went to the homecoming no, parade no when I was in college. Does. It's not a thing at Ohio State anymore. Uh, it's too early in the morning for one thing. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, it's 10 in the morning. It's ridiculous, man. There's sleep to be had. Agreed. Uh, okay. Well, you know, we'll be back to break down Maryland, and uh, we'll do this all again next week. Yeah. And until then, I'm Michael Citro. I am Johnny Ginter. Peace. Bye.